So now we have an audience of one. Exactly. <laughs> this is Jake. He's a weirdo. <laughs> How old? He's five, six, six. This is like some of my conversations with Lauren where I now pretend to care about cats. Ah, how rude. I'm Lillian Ruiz. And I'm Charlie O'Donnell. Welcome to the Schlepp to City Hall. The number one New York City election podcast hosted by two undecided voters from Brooklyn. All right, so today is April 14th. We are... 68 days away or so from the June 22nd New York City Democratic primary, not just for mayor, but for everything else, it seems. That's actually a question is, how much have you dove into the other races yet? Not yet. I'm trying to wait until the last possible moment <laughs> to dive in. But I yeah. saw Joanne Simon just jumped into the uh, Brooklyn Borough President race. Oh, yeah. I feel like there was like buzz around that in like Brooklyn paper that she would probably do that. So, yeah, as if I that didn't become complicated enough. But now I'll have to do some extra work around that race. Yeah. What does a borough president do? That's something. You know, I would like to actually, to be honest, I think in a future episode, we should talk about that because it is definitely less than it used to be. A couple of years ago, the rules changed. And I, I think there's a, a little bit of, they do have a little bit of budget. I believe there is some influence on placement on certain approval boards maybe some community board stuff, but yeah, it's not, to be honest, any borough president that I have ever seen run for anything, I have, I cannot think of a time where they talked about a particular accomplishment as borough president. Yeah. <laughs> so that should be some indicator of the scope of the role. And isn't it isn't it like more like a party machine sort of role? Let's talk about that word, that term for a moment, party machine. Because I don't know if you've been following it all, but it seems to me like the Brooklyn Democratic Party and some of the factions within it seems fairly dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, and I totally believe that the party machine at the national level is a thing. I wonder how much party mechanisms versus the number of other groups are influential. Because I actually think that voters, the vast majority of voters are fairly disconnected from their local party machines. Yeah, I would agree. I think that like my assumption with party machines is that as they become more irrelevant, like they're not like handing out jobs at Ellis Island anymore. (laughs) Party machine is more about inserting bureaucracy into the like candidate process to try and it it seems like a very like self-interested 
setup more than anything, but I also- no, I agree with that. I am 100% sure that there is a process by which you are thinking about whether you should run and your first calls are to the various groups saying, will I get support and endorsements, all of that sort of stuff. And so I think they affect the top of the funnel. Yeah. They affect who we wind up seeing yeah. on the ballot, because if you don't think you're going to get support from some of that stuff, you may hesitate to move forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who has not hesitated to move forward <laughs> in any way is Andrew Yang, who is our currently trailing by a wide margin undecided in second place. As of today, I think we've seen three quote unquote real polls that that bounced around between, I think there was a 24% number, a 16% number, and I forget what the other one was. And so as of now, in terms of identified number one candidates, he seems to be in the polling lead, but most people, when three times as many people as are voting for you have not made a decision yet, I yeah, it's pretty wide open. And I would make the case that he does seem to be somewhat polarizing. And so there really do not seem to be moderate Yang supporters. There's Yang gang, and then there's not Yang gang. The latter category has seemingly not picked somebody yet. And I just wanted to spend some time exploring some of the reasons why, what that means for his potential to, to grow that base. Because frankly, if he doesn't grow that base, there's no way to win. Yeah. What's interesting with the fact that he's having a base problem is the fact that he was a national candidate. If anybody should not be having a base problem, it's him. So it really, in a way, it makes you think if this, if the biggest name in the game can't figure out how to expand his base, he has a policy problem, don't you think? It certainly is an issue, right? I, I would actually say the bigger issue around his problem of growing the base is that his strategy should be one that has a much larger base. And what I mean by his strategy, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible about this, is he seems to be, he's not in the progressive crowd ideal, ideologically. So he's not going head to head with Diane Morales, Maya Wiley, Scott Stringer, on calls for, that's a whole other subject. First of all, it just seems to be that like, you are a progressive if you call for police defunding and you are not if you don't. And that is a litmus test. And I think that is problematic in, in and of itself. But I think he is not seen as one of the more progressive candidates. And, and that group, at least if you go by the polls, if you add up all of the people who are picking Maya, Diane, and Scott as their number one versus who are picking 
Eric Adams, Catherine Garcia, Sean Donovan, and Ray McGuire as their number one. The quote unquote experience slash moderate group is bigger. Mm -hmm. And so the group that he's going after is bigger. And if anything, like he does, I'm going to say this in the most polite way possible. He tries to bridge the community he's speaking with. I think like he knows when he talks in front of an audience, he picks an issue and he attempts to find some common ground. And so he's not, I guess he's not a line in the sand kind of ideologue where, you know, Hey, this is how I feel. And if I'm talking to this audience, they're just going to have to deal with that. He tries to make friends when he cuts across his communities. And so you think that his tent would be wider. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. And I think he, he relies on his affability in different scenarios and different conversations, but that affability in my, as far as I can tell, is there anything to back it up? And I think that's the question that folks who are trying to figure everyone out are are probably asking themselves to some degree. If you're trying to widen your base and trying to really put yourself out there and everyone is saying you're a likable guy, but that leap isn't being made in people's minds. I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out with him is where are you, like, where are you lacking or where is Andrew Yang lacking right now? And I've got some ideas, but I feel like that is something that it feels like his team is like maybe not assessing. Well, so I'll add on that just for a moment. And I think, look, he has something like 85% plus name recognition. Mm -hmm. I think most people know who he is, but the average New York voter probably doesn't know nearly as much about him as they know that he exists. Maybe somebody could tell you that he's like the thousand dollar a month guy. Other than that, I think there's probably huge drop off on policy. And, and, and maybe this is where you, maybe where there's some upside is that if somebody doesn't know what to make out of you, they're probably not going to rank you in there. They're just like, there's too many candidates. And mm -hmm. if somebody doesn't feel something strongly about you, like they're not going to take a lot of time to figure out what you're about. And I actually think that figuring out what he's about, if you don't already know him, feels difficult. Can you sum up Andrew Yang as a, from an ideological perspective in a short one or two sentences? I think I would describe Andrew Yang as... Is he a technocrat? No, I wouldn't even put him, I would not put him there. I would say Andrew Yang's ideological imperative is put me in coach. I'll figure it out. 
and but it's becoming as with i think that a lot of it is i don't know if he has an ideological perspective he started with a thousand dollars a month idea which which you would think is super progressive you would think it's super progressive and then you marry it with everything else and i i feel like his uh body of work or body of information falls in one of two categories three categories category one is the thousand dollars a month category two is great ideas from somebody else category three is throwing some spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks and i feel like it feels Everything about his platform feels a bit haphazard to me. When he comes out with a new component of his approach, I'm always like, huh, interesting. I wouldn't have seen that coming with that. Like the, it feels a little bit frank in platform. It feels a little like I've seen it before and better articulated elsewhere. And I know you only asked for two sentences on like what his ideological standpoint is, but I, I think his ideological standpoint is he's someone who's used to, yes, rolling up his sleeves and figuring it out, but figuring it out in a little bit of maybe a wishy-washy way. It's interesting. The great ideas from somebody else thing, I actually think if maybe the window for that has passed, because think about it from a New York perspective, right? If you go to any random New Yorker and you ask them, name, look, name a political candidate that was a non-politician and an outsider who ran for office and won. Who do you think the two names they would probably most come up with? Trump and Bloomberg. Exactly. What is the current popularity level. And it's interesting, I, I wonder actually, if you ask today, what is your like impression, positive or negative of Mike Bloomberg? I, I think there are many voters who look back fondly of the, the quote of Bloomberg era functional government thing, but also have no interest in him ever being a part of their government again. So like at best, those who look back fondly are like, yeah, Things seemed to work back then. Would you like them again? No, I think we're done with that. So I don't think there's a strong interest in outsider candidate unless you specifically where they're coming from. Exactly. And unless you know where they're coming from and unless you get the vibe that they can get stuff done. <laughs> well, well, right, because those are the, look, if you, obviously there are many things to criticize the Trump presidency about, but if, if you actually want to try and attemptively, attempt to objectively criticize the Trump pres presidency, is that like the probably two biggest things you could say is like, whatever they were trying to do, they weren't good at it. There was literally a lacking in competence level. And then two, the thing they said they were going to do the drain the swamp, the bee for the little guy and all of this sort of stuff, in practice, that's not what they did. Like they, they said they were gonna be there for the little guy when actually the one and only major policy accomplishment they did was a tax cut for the rich. So 
I think there's a little more skepticism about like different, but how? Tell me exactly how you're going to be different. Yeah. The thing that I find interesting from that question, the different, but how, like I was talking to a friend who was talking about Yang isn't the, the candidate for him, but he was the guy really wants to be a cheerleader for New York, meaning that like when he talks to business folks, real estate folks, whatever, he's what I want to do is be the like greatest cheerleader champion attractor to New York that can exist. And I, I now do I fully buy that from a realistic perspective? Not entirely, but I can, I, I thought the analysis was super interesting because I think like it's interesting that is the role he is trying to take to stand out right now is like, how do we keep New York on the world stage as numero uno, which feels interestingly tone deaf. And so like when we talk about like how, where he's trying to stand out, I do feel like he's trying to carve himself as New York's the best city in the world and we got to prove it and we've got to do that by opening everything up to tech companies and this and that and the third. And it feels like it's not reading the moment where it does feel a little bit like New Yorkers are in a nesting situation. Let's nest to make this better. But I don't know. What do you think? So I do actually think that he really does want to be a cheerleader. I And clearly he has a huge following, at least digital following, and people like to write about him. So I think he could be effective at that. Although that being said, whoever the mainstream whoever is mayor of New York is going to, whatever they say is going to get covered by people. Do I think that he would be a better cheerleader than Ray McGuire wants to be a cheerleader? Like, I don't, I think Ray McGuire would be just as good a cheerleader in that public outspoken, like Ray McGuire just did a live chat with Jay-Z and what, like, I think that that's, that is an angle. It's this sort of going to work too. But to your point about putting New York back on the map and all that sort of stuff, there are some of us here in New York that are scratching our heads going, are we not? Yeah. Um, first, of all, first of all, last year, there was no map anywhere. because <laughs> You couldn't travel, right? So, so no one was going anywhere last year. I look at it today and I'm like, honestly, in my career, I have never in my life had so many people tell me they are moving to New York as they are now. And in fact, like some... Stat just came out about like where I live in Park Slope that it's funny. The headline was that 16,000 people left Park Slope in 2020. If you actually clicked into the article, it said 12,500 people moved into Park Slope during that time. So the net was 3,500. And I was like, of the 3,500, what percentage of those people have come back? since then, right. you know, right? Like they, they may have forwarded their mail to their upstate place or uh, to a family house or whatever, but come this summer, I guarantee you like half of those people are back. So are we really, is New York off the world stage because one zip code lost 1700 people? Like I just right. don't buy that. Exactly. However, if you, who is the demographic of people who actually think that is the case? I think it is the more right-leaning yes. New York Post reading, 
outer borough kind of stuff. And those people do not care about UBI, do not want it specifically, do not want tech companies here, do not want Amazon trucks and all of that sort of stuff, even though <laughs> even though they'll order Amazon packages left and right, they just don't want the warehouse in their neighborhood, right? They're the NIMBY folks. If you actually looked at who was for Amazon or who was against Amazon coming in, like the folks from the Queensbridge houses like actually wanted it because it was jobs. And so that's, I don't feel like his message is consistent for a particular demographic. It's clearly not, he's not catering to a specific demographic that's large enough. Yeah, and I think that's why he comes off as muddled. It's like difficult to figure out what he's like, who he is and what he stands for. And he seems like a nice guy, that's great. But it's, it. I don't think it's fair to peg him as opportunistic necessarily but i don't think that i don't think i think the lack of savvy that he continues to display in his messaging and his platform development causes me to like really scratch my head which by the way is concerning considering that the thing he has been doing for the last three or four years is campaigning is he's really good at it by now he really really should and i think he just uh, it's confounding yeah i mean think about it this way like they are using the tusk strategy people as their as their campaign folks and all of that and like where are the new york yang where's the new york yang machine like why did they have to go to some like big time consulting firm or whatever? Because if this is really like the Yang gang movement, let's say like Bernie Sanders like moves into New York for whatever reason and decides I'm tired of Vermont and I want to come to New York City and hang out. You <laughs> That's know. not too bad of a <laughs> That's I'm moving back to Brooklyn. Everybody needs to know. He, is he going to need to hire a consulting firm to go like to some big time? There's a Bernie machine here. Now, obviously it was much larger than the Yang campaign, but it, it really feels like I'm surprised that there isn't more of an election mechanism for somebody who is supposed to be the savvy, use tech for things, scaling things, been running for the last four years. Part of his story is built up Manhattan GMAT, built up Venture for America. He's a builder. He's a part of his story is startup organizer kind of thing. And I just, I don't see that in the, in the campaign. Like I feel if I were to, if you were to just tell me how would, what in a seven to, to, to nine person campaign, would a national political candidate who's quote unquote, from the New York area, I'll give him the, from the New York area, who, who has an apartment in New York, who ran for president, generally like, I, I think as, as a presidential candidate was like liked. Yeah. You know, like I don't think people were newer, they weren't negative about him. Like they were like, oh yeah, Andrew seems like a smart guy. Seems like he's working hard. And who has a couple of million Twitter followers where would you peg him 65 days out percentage-wise in the election? 
if that last 16 number is where he is, that's underperformance. Yeah, 100% underperformance. If that next poll comes out and he's at 16 again, like that's a pro- that's that's not right. good. Or if that next poll comes out and he's at less than 16. Yeah, obviously, yeah. if it starts going in the wrong direction, like that is clear. And especially because out of all of the candidates, there's like Yang press or nothing. Wow. He is by far dominating the conversation. The only other person who really like genuinely breaks through is when Eric Adams says something completely off the I know. I know. It also makes me wonder, obviously, especially larger outlets and stuff tend to report these sort of things like in a very profile based or like single candidate based uh, way because you know that performs for their numbers but i do wonder as as voters i feel like we would i feel like a lot of people at this juncture would be like i just want to know what are the major like policy issues and then you and and give me like a chart give me a table (laughs) that's like here policy issue x this is what it is this is how it impacts people's lives these are the candidates who are for it and against it and it's have you done the city's poll the the city's i haven't I haven't. I'll admit I haven't either, but I do think it's a fantastic idea and people should. The city did a sort of who's my candidate kind of selector thing. Yeah. We won't talk about that in this episode, but I know that my candidate is not ideologically where I am. And I'm, I've already made my piece with, so I don't, I'm not going to put my, my, I, I should just do it anyway. It doesn't really matter, but I know where I would stand, but let's just go back for a moment. So here's one question. How important do you think it is for the average voter as to this? Is experience necessary or like the kind of, are they able to do it? And versus where are they ideologically versus, I don't know, likability or style or some other like the sort of x factor thing yeah i think i think i said this back on one of our earlier pods but like for me i am really interested in someone who is a systems thinker who's going to look at it from what's the infrastructure we have how do we fix it change it inject equity into it et cetera, et cetera, and can sit down and get it done. Like, I don't need, I feel like I don't need a, if the next mayor went into their office and stayed there and never did a press conference and just got the work done, I would be perfectly fine with that because I feel like there's so much from an infrastructure. And when I say infrastructure, like operational execution standpoint, there's so much that needs to be done that that is that is what i see as so important especially after the year that we just had where so many things socially uh politically economically have broken down because we've shown that the systems institutions so on that we have are in need of like rigorous reworking i think that what we need is someone who like one can get in the driver's seat and start driving, not need, you know, driver's lessons. So 
I don't disagree with you. I don't think that's where the average person feels. I've been engaging in some text banking and here's what I have discovered so far. I think there are a couple of hot button issues that divide the electorate. That are you in the defund category or not is a major one. And that is a major, there are some people out there who are not going to vote for a candidate who has refused to call for a cutting of the police budget, period. And they are just like, they're not going to cross over. And there are other people who are like not aligned with that. And there are some people who are hardlined against it, who just see they are like single issue crime voters and they just see defunding as like soft on crime or whatever, which is, which it isn't. And then there's other people in the middle they're like, oh, I don't totally understand if that's the, I don't know if that's the right issue or whatever, or they're open to other things or they're just not hardcore about it. I think those other folks are ones that feel maybe more, can they get the job done? Or what is the profile of person or all of this other stuff? Or they just have like other issues. So for example, like one of the things that people argue about most is education. Like, I think there are a lot of, I I got a lot of feedback from people about, they want to know what candidates feel about gifted and talented, about school zoning, about like, who gets to go to what school? How do we support teachers? All of that sort of stuff. How you manage the education system is something that some people feel very strongly about particular issues, like ideologically speaking. And that's one where I would actually say, it's not clear to me that the lines are progressive or moderate. Yeah, yeah. I think education is one of those segments of stuff uh, or segments of issues that is not politically defined so much as like lifestyle defined yeah oh yeah no (laughs) actually i think that's a great way of putting it there are some haves and some have-nots and there are some haves that think of themselves as very liberal right when it comes to whether or not there are enough slots in their neighborhood for their kid to go to school, which is the reason why they moved into that neighborhood in the first place. And, right. you know, all of that. other, They quickly back off from their progressive views when they. Yeah. And I, and especially I think this year and speaking as someone who does not have children, that question that is happening of, is my kid going to be behind forever? Are they not? And what does it mean that this kid over there got to be in their family's upstate New York farmhouse with high wi- high speed Wi-Fi and this kid didn't get to do this. And I am bringing it back to Yang. Like he, he is the only candidate with like young school-aged children. And I'm curious as to what that brings to bear in terms of how well, he Scott's got kids. Scott's uh, got kids. Scott has younger kids actually. Does he have young I thought his kids yeah. were college yeah. age for some reason. I think they are school age. So now I'm searching. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut this out. Yeah, no, they he's got sons. I think his kids are 
Yeah, he's got one kid who's nine, and I don't know what the other kid is. So that's interesting, but it does, I am curious about what does educational equity look like? And I think, to be fair, I have a feeling that Andrew Yang is probably getting a closer inspection on this because of his comments of having fled the city so that their kids can homeschool and so on. And But his stance as a tech guy, startup guy approach to to basically everything. What does that look like when you're talking about equity in education? What does that look like for ensuring like internet access and like the projects, all of those things? And I feel like that level of the like things that fall out of these broad sweeping, wouldn't it be nice ideas that he seems to have like the most important parts of the servicing of the most most vulnerable, it doesn't exist. They're not part of his user data. And that is like very weird and concerning when I start to think about like these sorts of quote unquote lifestyle segments of our socio-political and civic fabric. I think the other thing is too, that's also a factor is the who the supporters are, I think, also makes a difference. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of looking at the person next to you to see it's the cheat sheet <laughs> version of this campaign. I'm not entirely sure that the cheat sheet version of this campaign is working for him because <clears throat> if you are not already in the Yang camp and you are, let, let's say you, you are new to this race and looking at all of the candidates and you're looking around to see <clears throat> who's supporting what, I think if you are, like there have been a lot of comments about the, the online nature of the Yang gang and that it isn't necessarily a pleasant experience yeah. to interact with them online. Much in the same way that the same comments were leveraged about the Bernie Sanders group online. Trump supporters are certainly in, in many ways the, the, the same way. And that I, I think among some of the other candidates, I think there is a lot of, oh, if you're going for that person, like I... Can, I like you, and if you're going for that person, I'm going to do a deeper dive. Because the other thing I don't think is happening is between the non-progressive, non-Yang candidates, I don't think the average voter is going to do work on each and every one of them. They're going to bucket them and be like, yeah, you're... Well, yeah, I think they're going to look around and be like, okay, I don't know if I'm for any of these defunding people, and I don't know if I'm for this Yang guy. And, oh, you're for Catherine Garcia or you're for Eric Adam. Okay, I'll look into them. They seem okay and I'll go there. If somebody, for example, looks at Catherine Garcia is there and sees what they like, I'll, I'll tell you having interacted with a lot of people over, having interacted with a lot of people over text, I don't see a really strong drive to fully list their five. I think like, yeah. there's some people who like the option of ranked choice voting, 
but I think in a busy world where you have kids to take to soccer practice and all that sort of stuff, like if you're cool with Catherine or you're cool with Sean Donovan or you're cool with Ray, I don't think there's a lot of urgency to be like, okay, I got to find a number two and then I got to find a number three and okay, I'll look into this other person, even though I'm like comfortable with the two people that I've. Yeah. It's going to be, I think, interesting. I've been having a lot of conversations around who are your five and First of all, the first look I get is one of total horror where people are like, I only, I thought it was just three. So it looks like you just told people they have a pop quiz coming up. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't think people are going to do a ton of work to figure out like who their five are. They're going to, they're going to pick their favorite. And then the other two will probably be along the lines of, I wouldn't be surprised if most people like number two and three are just like, those names look familiar and they don't seem abhorrent. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think if you were predicting, let's see this, the next major poll that comes out, what will Andrew Yang's percentage be? Oh gosh, like my witchy tea leaves are really off today. I will bucket it. Is it north or south of 20? Oh, I don't think it's north of 20. I don't think it's north of 20. Do you think anyone is within five points of him? <sighs> so south of 20. South, I think he ends up south of 20 and then someone within five points of him. Which is basically saying, does someone crack at least 13 if not 15? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I feel somebody will crack 13 or 15 and I feel like it will be weird. Like, I think it'll be, I think we're going to start, whoever comes into that number two, we're going to, what we're going to be seeing is like those last mile campaign pushes, like really, really going in for the kill. That's my take. I'm going to bet three things. We'll see how many of these three things I'm getting. I also think it's going to be south of 20. I do think someone is going to be within five points of him. And this is my stretch. I think three candidates will be in double digits. I, I, I could get behind that last prediction. Yeah, because I think you're going to see a smaller undecided number only because there's been so much coverage of the 50% undecided number that I do feel like with all of the campaigns pushing and all of this sort of stuff, I think there's going to be a big jump in the number of people who started paying attention. Yeah. Also, what percentage of those 50% of undecideds do you think just won't vote? I think that vote, I think that won't vote percentage is going to be high. Here's another thing we, I would love to get somebody's take on. I think that definitely more than one, if not two other candidates from whoever wins the Democratic primary will be on the ballot in November. You think more than one Democrat's going to be on the ballot in November? Yeah, for sure. And the reason why is whoever wins the most, most votes from the work, Working Families Party mm -hmm. from among Scott, Maya, and Diane will be, certainly they'll be on the ballot, right? Right. So there's you'll, what you'll wind up choosing is between the Republican, the Democrat, Maya, Scott, or Diane on the Working Families Party ballot, 
And I gotta say, if you are, and this is a whole other conversation for a whole other episode. If you are Ray McGuire or Catherine Garcia or somebody who's not necessarily political and you have, is your money in the bank best spent trying to win the Democratic nomination or should you be going over? I'd love to know, is it too late to get on the Independence Party ballot? Do you, you don't, for sure, like you don't have to be, I, I, it probably actually depends on the party's own bylaws. I think I remember that the Democratic Party had to decide to allow Bernie Sanders to yeah, run yeah. in the primary. Like, I think that was a decision that had to be made. I have to imagine that for some of these smaller parties, like that's a decision. If you're Ray, Ray McGuire and you have five or $6 million in the bank toward this campaign, why don't you just try and win the general under some independence party ballot? Like that just seems to me a much better slot because then let's say Andrew Yang does win, right? If you have a, if you have a, a general campaign where it's like Yang versus Diane Morales versus Ray McGuire, Mm-hmm. That's giving Ray a much better shot than he has to win the Democratic primary. That's true. That's true. But I feel like there's pro- I feel like there's something missing. Like to decide to run as like an independent. Do you still pursue the same campaign strategy that didn't get you past the primary, or do you try and pursue some sort of weird, wider base approach to your campaign in order to potentially? Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And I just feel whoever would be—I don't know—I feel like we'd get some weird campaigning happening. (laughs) I I, I almost think it's almost definitely going to happen because, first of all, I don't know, and I don't even know the reason why they moved up the primary. But the fact that we have to go from June until November yeah, is utterly ridiculous. And so much stuff could happen in between now and then. First of all, the idea that we have like this weird presumptive shadow mayor for six months or whatever is just- It's very strange. And I, I, that that leaves a lot of time for somebody to get a campaign together in the meantime. And, and I think my bet is that if the nominee is not somebody who is from the more moderate, non-progressive perspective, you'll definitely get something like that, whether it's Yang or anybody else. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I think, I think the strategy you put forth is sound. I'm trying to think of who the personalities on board, who would be the personalities most likely to get on board with something like that? Or somebody who's not even running yet. Wow. It happens plenty of time. <laughs> that, 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 sorry, that really blew my mind in a very- Something that I did not realize actually, Lisa Murkowski has run and won a, I don't know, not for New York, I'm just saying as an example. <laughs> I did not realize that Lisa Murkowski has run and won the Alaska Senate campaign after losing the Republican Democratic, after losing the Republican primary. She beat a Republican nominee as a write-in candidate. Wow. Alaska is a weird place. It is interesting. It's not unprecedented. Of course, 
Could $70 million do it? Yeah, sure. Hey, after the Coinbase IPO, Fred Wilson could probably do it. Oh, geez. <laughs> All right. On that note, we, we have done our best to try and get as many candidates on here as possible. We, we do have one more candidate that we are scheduling and, and some others that basically will probably push us back indefinitely. But, but we want to keep this thing going and we have lots of things to, to ask about and talk about, like ranked choice voting, like some stuff about education. So we're going to commit to doing this on a weekly basis. So you're going to see a little more consistency from us in terms of when stuff comes out, uh, a little more commentary as news pops up, certainly after the next poll. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that shapes up. Yeah. And, and please tweet us your questions. For sure. And, and maybe we'll do some episodes live too. That's, I'm trying to get Lily into agree to do that. <laughs> I'm spiritually ready now. I wasn't this morning, but. <laughs> okay. Now that we have the cat as an audience member, you're, that dam is broken. Exactly. We will see you next week then. <laughs> <laughs>